The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. This is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And guess what? It's a happy day. It's Friday. And today I've got the first ever and still reigning WWE Cruiserweight Champion, TJ Perkins, just in time for his huge Hell in a Cell match at the pay-per-view October 30th. He'll be defending his title against Brian Kendrick. Although, is there even pay-per-views anymore? I guess the... uh the live special on the WWE Network. It's going to be Perkins versus Kendrick. And TJ is here. Let me just start by saying, you might never have heard of him before if you're a start, uh, staunch, ardent WWE fan. But believe me, he is no overnight success. He's been wrestling, forget this, 18 years. Yeah, 18 years. He's been everywhere. He's been everywhere, man. He's been everywhere. New Japan, TNA, Mexico, Ring of Honor, all across California, all across the States, PWG, and now he's the Cruiserweight Champion at WWE. You hear all about his journey to get there, what his WWE future might hold. He's telling stories about a young boy in the New Japan system coming up in the Lucha Libre wrestling, uh, wrestling times as a teenager in Southern California and what it was like being homeless. Literally living in his car, trying to make it in the business. He got advice from Roddy Piper, who didn't. Roddy was a great guy. Uh, he was in the same young boy class as Shinsuke Nakamura, who is the NXT champion right now. Or I think he is. I think he's at him, 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 he's, he's the top angle versus Samoa Joe. Anyways, and TJ says he really learned how to be a true performer during his days in Mexico. He hasn't had a chance to cut a lot of promos on Raw and really do some talking, but he's an interesting guy. He's a fun guy. He's a laid-back, humble SoCal guy. And he's got the mic for the next hour right here on Talk is Jericho. Because that's what I do. I give people a forum to tell their tales. Just like I did with AJ Styles when he first came to the WWE back in January. I'm going to have him again. Because in Toronto on November 20th, it's Talk is Jericho live with AJ Styles at the Bassett Theater in Toronto. You don't want to miss it. So get your tickets at markoutmoments.com. Still a handful of VIP meet and greets available. Still a couple tickets left to the brunch that AJ and I are hosting uh, at 10 a.m. before the event. Come have some breakfast with me and AJ. He's the uh, WWE SmackDown champion, whatever they're calling it, that brand on that side. The world champion, I think it is. We're the universal champion on Raw because we're bigger. We're more, we're more, we're more. But AJ is still one of the hottest guys in the WWE today. And he's going to be hot in Toronto live. Talk is Jericho live in Toronto at the Bassett Theater live on November 20th live. Get them tickets at markoutmoments.com. You're not 
not going to want to miss it. Jericho versus AJ in Toronto. All right, before we get to TJ Perkins, the WWE Cruiserweight Champion, the big news is this Sunday. Probably the biggest uh, rating in cable history will be for the return of The Walking Dead. Season 7, Walking Dead, one of the biggest cliffhangers. It's uh, akin to who shot JR, if you can remember that back in the Dallas days. Who did Negan kill? At the end of season six, leading into season seven, everyone's talking. Uh, I want to know who you think Negan killed. Hit me up on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho. I'm going to give you a quick analysis on who I think it is. This is not a spoiler alert because I don't know who uh, who killed him, but I do know this. I've been doing some research. I've been watching some great uh, clues on YouTube. And at the end of the show, this was the lineup. They're all on their knees as Negan is walking around with uh, the barbed wire baseball bat uh, ready to uh, to kill somebody. And from left to right, it's Glenn, Rosita, Daryl, Michonne, Abraham, Maggie, Rick in the middle, Sasha, Aaron, Carl, and Eugene. Now, well, at first I thought it was going to be Eugene that's going to bite it. I don't think so because if you've seen the trailer for The Walking Dead, the sneak peek, there shows a big uh, gout of blood on Rick's right side, which was not there at the end of season six, which tells me that somebody on his right side was killed. Okay. So who's on his right directly next to him, Maggie, Abraham, Michonne, Daryl, Rosita, Glenn. Okay. If you watch the trailer, it shows uh, Negan just kicking the shit out of somebody smashes their brains, destroys their, their whole body. And then picks up Rick, takes a hatchet and takes him into the motorhome. Now, if you read the comic, which I don't, but apparently Negan, uh, chops off or apparently Rick Rick got his hand chopped off by the governor and in this trailer Negan keeps talking talking about a right hand man and right hand man I think he's going to cut Rick's hand off with the hatchet Rick's right hand uh, hatchet and I also think that Rick uh, that uh, Negan killed uh, Rick's right hand man who would be Abraham who is two down from him Rick Maggie Abraham and I think he might have killed Maggie as well although a lot of people think Glenn went so I think it's probably Glenn Abraham or Maggie if you're going to play it safe I would go with Abraham but then I also heard that a couple people died so Maggie if you want to get Negan over as the biggest heel in the business killing a pregnant Maggie there's no there's no coming back from that. Abraham, you almost expect it, and you're also like, oh, well, Abraham finally got his. If he does kill Maggie, the pregnant Maggie, then that puts him over the top as the, as the worst heel in, in Walking Dead history. The other one is, what if he kills Glenn? What if he kills Glenn and Maggie? Kills the whole family, because apparently more than one person has died. So I think it's going to be two out of the three, Maggie, Abraham, or Glenn. Um, I would probably go more with Abraham and Glenn. I would be more crazy, pissed off, sad if it was Glenn and Maggie. Um, but I don't think they would do that because somebody has to has to have the pain of surviving. So I think it's going to be Maggie and Abraham that are killed by Negan in the uh, in the opening episode, season seven of Walking Dead that takes place this Sunday. Who do you think Negan killed? Hit me up on the Twitter, at Talk is Jericho, and make sure you spell Negan right. It's hashtag N-E-G-A-N. I spelled it with two E's. I got I got flamed. So Negan, N-E-G-A-N. Who do you think Negan killed? Let me know on the Twitter, at Talk is Jericho. I'm saying it's Maggie and Abraham. We'll find out this Sunday. All right, the WWE Cruiserweight Champion TJ Perkins is here. That's pretty much how it goes, man. You know, you got to hold the mic and just talk for an hour. 
And uh, I'm not even going to ask you any questions. You just have to do an hour-long promo. This is really a trick. <laughs> just, it's a trick. The office put me up to it. Promo class? Yeah. <laughs> Here with uh, TJ Perkins, who is the uh, the uh, WWE Cruiserweight Champion, the brand new WWE Cruiserweight Champion. So it's uh, it's pretty cool to to have you here. And the thing about it, I mean, there's there's so much to talk about because you told me this a, a couple of days ago. You've been wrestling for 14 years or 18 years. 18, yeah. <laughs> and how old are you? 32. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy, man. Uh, your your reaction right now is what I do internally every time I have to say it. Yeah, I, I don't like. It's weird to me because I I still feel like like yesterday was the first day. Sometimes, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is to start at 14. I mean. You know, that's almost like it's almost like you grew up in Mexico or something. That those guys in Mexico and England, they always start in their teens. That was sort of the upbringing I had because um, I had always thought that I would finish high school and try to wrestle, you know, afterward. And so I was an all sport athlete, and I, I figured I'd like wrestle amateur or something like that because that's like what you hear. Like what I heard my heroes did. Like, yeah. oh, this guy was a collegiate wrestler. This guy was a football player <laughs> right, or whatever. Right, right. And, and this was like 1998. So, like, the internet wasn't so big at the mm-hmm. time. So, you don't, you only know what you see in like PWI magazine or something like that, right? And my first day of school, I'm, I never forget, I was 13. I went to high school. And my first day of school, they were like, yeah, we don't have an amateur program. And I was like, oh, well, I, there's no other way I can do this. And so then I, I sent letters because, like, we didn't, you know, there's no social media. So I sent letters to, like, I heard Shawn Michaels was going to open a school that year. He had just, like, retired at the time. I sent one to Dean Malenko in Florida, to Al Snow, and then, but I was 13, so I couldn't relocate. And then mm-hmm. it just so happened I grew up in Southern California. So, like, there's a lot of lucha libre out here, and, and they, they don't regulate you as well so all the places that would write me back and even if i could move there like, you got to be 21 or 18 at least you know and so that i was able to start early so i had i had a lucha libre upbringing. it's so funny because the, the, what you just said is, is very similar to, to me as far as writing letters and uh, <laughs> and also thinking i had to be an amateur wrestler and my high school my high school didn't offer that and i was like oh how am i gonna make it if i can't be an you gotta be an amateur wrestler first because that's what everyone does but you're, you're right because back you know even though it was only like you said 1998 it might as well have been in the dark ages as far as information and finding out where to go and what to do before the internet i mean the narratives we believed in like we didn't you know i mean we don't we don't know we we can only get what we we hear from mm-hmm, stories. Mm-hmm. it's not as easy for information to travel so right yeah it was weird i mean like i doing my first loops and stuff when i was 13 14 like i'd have to if i had to call home i had to stop at a pay phone like there's no cell phones really like guys didn't have cell phones yeah, at the nothing. time um not a lot of people anyway um i had to write directions on napkins like, you, you <laughs> map st- quest yeah you stop yeah you print stuff out you stop at like a gas station or a bar to ask like, hey is this how far to this street you know do you know where the wrestling is <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Do you know where the wrestling is <laughs> so when you're you're doing shows and on the road at 14 years old is there no like laws i mean is that legal to be able to do that oh, I, there's no way that it's legal <laughs> yeah I, there's no way um especially now uh but at the time it was uh i don't know it's weird because it's not that long ago but the uh, you know the world was a very different place mm-hmm. i think for for at least our industry the world was very different at that time like i i would th- like a lot of places i would wrestle that they didn't even record their shows because like dvd wasn't even a format for them to monetize mm-hmm. yet like and uh, you know everything was regional and local, and it it was very 
felt archaic. You know? Sure, yeah. And you just you go to you'll go to a place and you don't even know if you'll ever wrestle there or perform again because it mm-hmm. may just be one and done and that it doesn't exist anymore. Right. Who did you train with at fourteen? Uh, when I first started, it was a gym run by Bill Anderson and Jesse Hernandez. Oh yeah, yeah. dude. I'm, I know that you know. I worked. Them. I, I just yeah. funny. It's one of those things. I, tra- I trained at their place in was it San Bernardino? That's right. Yeah. In probably what ninety two for like one session, and of course indirectly now that oh you trained with Jesse Hernandez and Billy Anderson's like well I didn't really train with them yeah they, I oh, was there once oh they've they've <laughs> they've trained the greatest of all time man <laughs> ultimate warrior and sting actually I do think that they spent a little bit a little bit of time with them but uh, yeah but yeah a lot of a lot of dudes have come through there um so I know like like because they've been around a while it's just one of those things mm-hmm. when you're around a while and like you cross paths with a sure. lot of people so but yeah that's where I got my start for them but then I I I've always been, I still am this way, like kind of a forever student. Like maybe that hurts me in a little bit because mm-hmm. I'm, like, how do you always, mean? Like I always, I'm always trying to put myself in a system. Like I always feel like I need to learn. I don't know. It's maybe like a bad, I don't want to say a bad habit. It's probably a good habit, but like, uh, I, um, it, it almost creates an inferiority complex with me. Like I feel like oh, I'm, I got to learn more stuff and go. Because when I first started, I was so young and I was I was deathly afraid of failing because I mm. didn't. There was nothing else I wanted to do with my life. So I thought, all right, well my my dad always wanted me to get scholarships to go to school for for sports, but I was too small to like earn a look like that. No matter how good I was at whatever I was doing, like I wasn't that wasn't going to be my future. So I and I didn't have any career aspirations. So I thought, well, if I don't do this well then like my life is done mm. like i don't i'm not doing There's no backup yeah yeah so like i was deathly afraid so i would you know i was always like a sponge i would beg people for advice and nobody ever took me under their wing i never had any mentors and people never took to me in that way so i always was like i got to find a new school and like learn more stuff so i was like doubling up like i mm. i started with bill and jess but i went to gill's garage i went to all these different places all simultaneously which is smart i mean in retrospect i'm glad i did it because like i i feel maybe overtrained in that way. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, that's just my, my whole life. I've been obsessed with like mm-hmm. my wrestling IQ and like d- just doing that because I felt like if I'm not, if I'm not doing more than everybody around me, then there might be a chance I'll fail. And if I fail, then I got nothing else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Were you still going to school at the time when you're starting or did you drop out? No, I, I went to, I barely made it through. I think I graduated with like a 2.0 or something mm-hmm. really to like, I remember my senior year, I had, f- I had two English class failures where like, like one of those things where you had to have passed every, all four years. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember I had to take two English classes my senior year because the way it would work from my freshman year on, I would usually ditch school on like a Friday and I'd get picked up by whoever was going to the Friday night show if I was working in like Vegas or maybe San Francisco or Arizona uh, in Tijuana those were like more difficult because it was a little bit it felt like it was further even though it was only mm-hmm. a couple hours away and um I would jump in whoever's car I'd have I would ditch like like second or third period and then whoever was going to another show after that for like Saturday and Sunday, I would just, just like kind of car hop. Like mm-hmm. if it wasn't the same group of guys, I would just find whoever would be going that direction. And then on Monday I would just get dropped back off at school. So <laughs> right at school. Yeah. So like I, I would kind of disappear for like a couple school days and over the weekend and then just kind of get back at school and then go back home at the end of the day on Monday. What would your parents say about that? Well, my parents never kept tabs on me. Oh. Like, <laughs> my parents uh, worked for TWA like when um, 
Wow. Yeah, they're old they're, school airline. Yeah, yeah. so they like I come from kind of a traveling family mm-hmm. and uh so they they they're used to leaving me and my baby sister home like two weeks at a time with like oh. my Filipino aunts, you know. <laughs> so like we we learned to be self-sufficient like yeah. kind of at a young age. And um so and when I grew up I didn't like I I never got into trouble. I don't drink and I, I never I've mm-hmm. never drank or done drugs or anything like that. I've never hung out with you know, bad people. I don't think anyway, <laughs> except for wrestlers. Yeah, the worst. Yeah, the worst. The worst I've ever been around is being you know in, in, around <laughs> wrestlers. Yeah. So, um, so they never felt the need to keep track of me. So you know, I, I would come and go as I please, and they never gave me a curfew. And and uh, luckily, I, I, in retrospect, I was probably I'm very lucky to be alive because <laughs> I very very well could be. Uh, that must have been pretty good for you, though. If your parents work for the airline, doesn't that mean you get to fly for cheap? Or um, you'd think so, but it never really turned out that way. Oh. We went on vacations a lot and things like that when I was a little kid, so I was used to traveling. But when I started wrestling, um, you know, I was buying standby tickets or buying bus tickets and things like oh, that. Oh, so you weren't so. getting like a no? I okay. never, I never like, I never went to them for anything as far as wrestling. Mm-hmm. They, they, they never even I. I think last year was the first time they've even seen me wrestle. They didn't. I mean, it just was not. Just did not know, huh? Yeah, they did. Because well, you, you come from a Filipino background, you mentioned, and yeah. Philippines isn't really known for for wrestling. I mean, no, I'm, I'm sure my mom was happy. I was entertaining at a certain level. You mm-hmm. know, uh, she had me acting when I was a little kid. So I, I was a terrible child actor. I was the, <laughs> I was the worst, man. I was doing like AT and T commercials in Spanish and like. Oh, just, you actually got booked. Oh yeah, yeah. Nice. I, I was almost Ed O'Neill's kid in Little Giants. I was like the last. It was down to me and the guy that actually got. No it. kidding. Yeah, I had to read the scene with Icebox where she like. I think it was the scene right after the kid carries the fridge out on his back or something. Yeah. Uh, it could have been, that could have been you, man. Yeah. It could, could have been a whole different I, life for you. Yeah. It would, it was, it's weird. So, um, so I'm sure she was happy about that, but she never really, you know, kept track of wrestling. My dad is, is from Kansas city. He's white farm boy. Like, oh, okay. You know, so he's totally like, he would get it. More. He's a very, well, he would get it, but he's also very detached. In okay. That way. He's very old school father. Like he's right. not, emotionally invested in his kids at all he just provides a good living and that as long as food's on the table he's <laughs> old japanese style father they yeah. live the same way in japan they're just kind of like you don't even really talk to your dad he just is, is there actually it's funny because when i like i was a young boy in new japan and so when it when i would be around our elders i was like man it's just like i'm around my dad yeah they're giving me direction they expect a lot of me but they also don't care and they're not watching me. yeah the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Well, just go through all the places you work. Your resume is insane, dude. I mean, you have been literally everywhere. Um, New Japan. Yeah. So New Japan was my first real big thing, which is crazy because that was my ultimate bucket list. I never cared about going anywhere Yeah, but New Japan. Was I was the, the same. Japan thing. was the place. All I ever wanted to do was go there. And really, it was kind of because of your generation. Like mm-hmm. you and Eddie and Dean and Chris, all these guys were the guys I wanted to like. And I'm sure you hear that a lot because you guys molded a lot. But of I was the same, though, because I was after those guys. So I would see Eddie, Chris, Dean, Scorpio, Too Cold Scorpio, Dragon, Ultimate Dragon. All those guys were there. And I was like, I want to 
be there with those guys, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that was my, that was my literally my only bucket list thing. And, and it was weird cause that was the first thing that happened when I was 17. Uh, when I was a teenager, like around 15, 16, there was a developmental for, for WWF at the time out here is where John Cena got started, Victoria, Miz, a lot of the guys. It was uh, Rick Cena. Bassman's place. Yes. It was Rick Bassman's place. And I, I, they let me train and do the TV tapings. I was too young to like, I wasn't going to get a job, yeah. but they were like, this kid's good enough to be here. So it'd be like if NXT had like a 15 year old kid doing shots every now and then on <laughs> yeah, TV. Yeah, yeah. Like, Who's this he's guy? just hanging around, yeah. set up the ring. Yeah. He's never going to get called up, but he's always here. Yeah. He's training every day. So that's like what it was like. Um, and when they uh, detached their association, their next thing that they linked up with was Zero One, which at the time was newly offshoot from, uh, from New Japan. The Inoki family was helping with the office stuff, and they were looking to set up a New Japan gym in L.A., and they're like, we need you know, some good guys. And, and uh, myself and a guy, he's still in New Japan right now, Rocky Romero, mm-hmm. his, his partner at the time, Ricky Reyes, um, and Samoa Joe were the first guys who were like, you can build a gym around these guys. And then, uh, and then Brian Danielson came down after that. This is all in LA. Yeah, this yeah. is all in LA. And, uh, and so that, that was basically how I got accidentally ushered into New Jersey. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. So they brought you over. Yeah. So I was, uh. I remember they waited because I was like only 17, I think, at the time that the gym was set up. And then it was like as soon as I turned 18, they're like, here's a visa. Here's a tour contract. And then I went from being a young boy in L.A. to being a young boy in Japan, Japan. So like I stayed like uh, my first room was Chris's old room. No kidding. Yeah. Was, so you were actually at the dojo. Yeah, for was, how long? Um, so the way that it would work was I would go out. I would split my time like I would go out there. If we had a tour, I would go out several weeks early so i'd be there for two three weeks before the tour and it would just be like young boy young boy young boy be on the tour sometimes i didn't even wrestle i'd just be you know i was a young boy and then after the tour was over the guys would go home but i would stay and i'd mm-hmm. be back in the dojo and then i might stay for the next tour and then eventually i might go home and then i'd be a young boy in la okay. and then if i would go so it'd be like i would double up on a tour and be a young boy the whole time there and then come back and have to. and let's away. just let's just for people who might not know explain what a young boy is uh, so it's weird because I guess if you're not from wrestling, yeah. you hear young boy. It sounds almost like, uh, yeah. you know, pornographic yeah, or something. It sounds like right? it could be terrible or something <laughs> really awful. Yeah. Um, in some ways it is really awful, mm-hmm. but uh, it's kind of like being a scrub in the army in, in a way, or like a, like a rookie. You're like, a, yeah. yeah, like you're like, like you're a, like a pledge if you're a fraternity. Yeah. Like a rookie on a pro team or a pledge, you mm-hmm. know, a, 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 a new guy in the army. A green boy, you know, that. What are some of your duties so, as a young boy? So, you know, I would wake up and, uh, you know, you would cook the food. We would have chonko every day and like shabu shabu. Luckily, one of the guys in the young boy class was a chef. So <laughs> he did all the cooking. That was great. But you would sweep the floors and then, you know, you'd do your training. Your training was usually something very basic and archaic. Like you'd do, you know, 300, 500 squats or something and push ups and then you know, cater to, to the older guys, grab them towels. I remember I'd have to like wash Nakanishi's back cause he's too big to wash his own back, that sort of thing. And that's part of it. You yeah. wash guys back, yeah. yeah. Carry, carry bags, that sort of thing. Um, uh, during the matches and stuff, you'd hold ropes open for guys to get into the ring, that sort of thing. And, and you stand uh, around the ring and watch the matches. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, that's basically what it was. You're, you know, 
you're a professional bag carrier more so than a, <laughs> than a wrestler. Um, so who else was who, what other who other young boys was there with you? I actually had a really interesting class because uh, Yoshitatsu was in my was in my mm-hmm. class, and so was Shinsuke Nakamura. Wow! But Nakamura, like literally from day one, was Nakamura. Like yeah. he he like wasn't even a young boy with us. Like, we <laughs> he was in our class, but we never saw him. Like, yeah, he was. He doing was, his own thing he was gonna be a superstar from day one yeah he was just too good to be with us for sure <laughs> so so did they eventually how long were you a young boy before they start letting you have matches because uh, it's, it's rare too to be a, a gaijing a foreign young boy i mean that's i i wish i would have gotten that opportunity not a lot of foreign guys get that chance right no yeah it's it's very rare for but, me it kind of happened because the, the other guys were older than me yeah so when they when we first came in like i, I think it was like daniel bryan was like 22 the other guys were a little older. Rocky Romero is younger, but he looks like he's 30. <laughs> so, or at the time. So yeah. He just, he's always looked like a full on man. So, <laughs> um, so, and, and they were more mature as human beings. So they looked at me like, well, he's not done growing. He's mm. like physically not done growing. Definitely not mentally, emotionally yeah. and mentally. So they're like, we can put more time into him. So, mm. uh, I think we came in around like, I don't know, uh, springtime of 2002, and my first tour was October. Okay. Yeah. So what was your name back then? Uh, <laughs> so the, they always called me TJ, but uh, the uh, on flyers and stuff, they had me listed as Pinoy Boy. <laughs> so... And I, I, I Pinoy is Pinoy means Filipino. Okay. Yeah. So, and I remember thinking, it's funny that it's coming in this uh, setting because I remember at the time thinking, okay, well, it was pretty cool that like like Chris Jericho was Lionheart, mm-hmm. and then when I got my first nickname, which was like a high school nickname for me, and I was like, man, this is not as badass as I like my heroes have had. So. What was the nickname was Pinoy Boy. <laughs> it was Pinoy Boy. So. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it worked out okay. I didn't get you know. Yeah, I don't think I was made fun of too much, although I can't understand him. So maybe, <laughs> Probably, yeah. maybe I was. I <laughs> so and you were in Japan for quite a long time for New Japan. Yeah, uh, yeah. So. 2002 uh probably until i don't know 2006 kind of off and on okay uh it was it's weird because like uh i remember when i was kind of like doing i was doing less and less because i started investing myself into like i started chasing other opportunities i i i I, not that i have a fear of complacency but i get i i I end up wanting to branch out probably before i'm done or before i do something good Mm -hmm. enough in a place that i'm at and so i remember i was kind of doing less and less around the time uh, uh, Prince Devitt was coming in. So it was almost like he he like took over the opportunity that I was kind of leaving on the table, which mm-hmm. I, in retrospect, I wish I would have never left. Oh, this is like kind of like a top foreign spot? No, I think it was more like he did what I didn't do because he came in and was amazing. Oh, okay. And, like did, did an amazing job, and I never – like I don't think I flourished in the way that – Gotcha. I think they were hoping I would stick around and do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And in my head, probably because I started so young. This sort of like the double-edged sword, I think, of doing things so mm-hmm. young. You learn a lot, but it comes in, in the form of making a lot of mistakes. So. And I would also think, too, there might be a little bit of um, they might some guys might always see you as the young boy. You that, come in at that level and you're always oh, he's always the young boy, you know? That's true, too, because a lot of the guys there, their tenure is insane. Like, they stick around for a long time. Right. So you, st- you stay underneath a lot of guys, too. So, but I, And I, I think a lot of it had to do with me being... 
I, I always felt like I had to compete with like my older brothers, so to speak, you know, because all the other guys were a little bit older and they're doing better stuff, but they're more mature than me. And they're, right. they're by nature that they're going to be better at their job and they're going to. You talking about guys better. like Daniel Bryan, those yeah, type of guys, yeah. you know. So like we would be in the gym and I'd always be trying to outwork them, and in some ways we'll be together and 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 but when we're performing like my age i never understood the glass ceiling on it so mm-hmm. like that made me want to like leave like well forget this i'm gonna go do something else so then you know i went to cmll and then i went to like ring of honor and tna and stuff like that and i just wanted to get away from from the situation i was at because i was like i want to do more and do like, sure get around and get and do other stuff it's funny all you wanted to do was go to japan and then you got it right away and, and then you yeah. want to get the hell out of there <laughs> 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 but yeah so maybe off and on from like 2002 to like 2006 or so it's interesting to me because like you're you're like uh the longest overnight sensation ever like you show up in the WWE, you win the cruiserweight championship you got this long ass history and i knew some of it but it's very similar to mine i mean i did cmll new japan all of that stuff and it's interesting to me that you also did that as that also you know yeah i've always uh (laughs) i've kind of used you and eddie as like a barometer Mm. for me a little bit because um I always wanted to do the same things that you guys did. Mm-hmm. And then as it was happening, I, I would kind of look at the place you, you guys were in at the time and, and like try to learn from that sort right. of thing. You know? Right. And, and a lot of the, the – it kind of ended up in a similar pattern. Like I, I went to New Japan and then they kind of shipped me off to CMLL. I spent you know most of 2003 there. Um, so you lived in Mexico. Yeah. Dirty hotel room, three guys, two beds. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Really? Three yeah. guys and two beds? Yeah. Myself, Rocky Romero, and uh, Bobby Quantz, who's no longer in the business. He's joined the Navy. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we were a trio's team. And, what do you do? Uh, share a bed? or do you We would rotate. I think there was like a, a, yeah, like a little tiny like couch thing that would <sighs> be the makeshift third bed. Towards the end, we actually got another single room. So we would rotate like two guys in one and then one in the other, but for a while. Was the hotel right in Mexico City? Yeah, it was the Do you remember what ho- it was called? Hotel Montemar. Montemar. Right by the Revolution <laughs> Monument. Dude, that place was old when I was there in 93. <laughs> I was like, so don't ever stay at the Montemar, yeah. the Hotel Montemar. And it's like, okay, I won't stay there. Yeah, that was, that was the place for us. Man. Yeah. yeah. What did you think of the, of the uh, Lucha Libre style? Um, so for, for me and Rocky, it was, we loved it because it's sort of what we were brought up. Oh, that's right. You, you trained know? that way. And, um, and it was cool to see that like we had a good, I think a good education in it, like from coming from Los Angeles. Cause like a lot of Americans, they, they learn Lucha Libre, but they don't really learn Lucha Libre. Yeah. Like yeah, they yeah. learn YouTube Lucha Libre. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? American like, style Lucha. And yeah. It's exciting. And it, and there, I mean, it's, it's all subjective. So there's not really any right or wrong, but mm-hmm. then you, you kind of, there's a different tempo and, and like feeling to mm-hmm. like Lucha Libre guys, like authentic guys. And so when we got there, we were like, okay, this is a lot like how we were brought up. So mm-hmm. we it was cool. But, Who were um, some of the good workers there? That, that you... Man, Averno and Mephisto were great. Uh, Satanico was, was our main coach at the time when we first started. Daniel. <laughs> his name, Danny. <laughs> and he, so he was awesome. And um, uh, after a while, Negro really took us. Dude, that guy is Negro so cost good. us, yeah. I always say, I write about him all the time when I, in my books or whatever, like, just how good he is. Not just as a Lucha Libre guy, but just as, as a performer, as a wrestler. He, he really understands, best. like, on a broad scale, yes. like how wrestling, like yes, he understands his yeah. people. He understands exactly what to do at the right moment. I learned a lot from him, uh, as psychology wise too. He was great for us to understand how to treat things like a bigger moment, you know, mm. cause we we're consistently, cause you, you, you work like seven nights a week right? and a yeah. lot of them are in, in bigger 
arenas that i mean they're old mm-hmm. but they're big arenas so you work in front of like 3000 people 2000 people 8000 people depending on where you are and i think we were still performing even though we had been to japan we were still performing like it was like small houses cuz we're used to you know regional stuff like the independence and things like that so mm-hmm. he really got us to slow down in certain parts speed up in certain parts be bigger than we were in certain parts so like we kind of started to understand um the performing aspects a lot more down there like in that way which mm-hmm. is weird because I, I think the perception for yeah. like fans they think oh you, you learn how to do badass moves right but it, you really learn how to be a good showman i think when you're wrestling seven times a week and it's all in front of big audiences Dude, that, is, that is so true like you know? that was the best thing for me as far as trying to learn how to be a, a, a performer and, and like you said people with the, well, negro casas told you to slow down and Lucha Libre is all speed up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's, yeah I, I, my favorite lesson I learned from Negro among many was uh, he was doing a diving headbutt and I was supposed to move, but I didn't hear him or I forgot or I wasn't sure. And he basically just landed right beside me. One of those ones like where he, I was supposed to move, so he just went to the side. <laughs> he just landed right beside me and it was just like, oh. And afterwards I felt so bad. He's like, hey, you know, Chris. Let me tell you something. You know, he talks with his arms closed. Yeah. No worries. He said, like, uh, he says, tomorrow's another match. He said, yeah. don't even worry about it. It's done. Learn, and tomorrow is another match. And he's right. You get out there the next day, and that yesterday's mistake is gone. Right, right. You know? and, um, that was a lesson, actually, that uh, uh, I got on two separate occasions from Scott Norton, who was uh, the main gaijin heavyweight when I first came to New Japan, which I'm, I'm, I thank God that, that he was there at the time because uh, – like he's a like a link to the past, mm-hmm. so so to speak. You know? And also like, just a great guy, amazing guy, yeah, great guy. Um, and uh, and on another occasion, uh, Roddy Piper actually gave me that same advice. And they both at both times it was like you know That's I'm, cool. kick, I'm kicking myself coming back after something dumb, and uh, and they're both like you know you, you're gonna have a thousand more, and tomorrow is definitely a different one. Yeah. So. You know, you can't change that one. Yeah. So just, you know, worry about the next one. Yeah, worry about the next one. Because like, when you do start, you do kick yourself about mistakes. You know, and everybody makes mistakes. Everybody fucks up. But it, I find, especially when I first start out, but even now, it still bugs me if there's a, a blatant totally, screw up. Yeah. You know, but you can't you can't let that bug you. You know, this is live theater. It happens. Yeah. So they, you know, they were like, don't don't treat a regular season game like the NBA Finals. Yeah. You're going to have... That's right. you got 82 more of these things. That's right. So. <laughs> Where did you come across Roddy Piper? Uh, I, I think it was just at an independent show mm. in California. And he was making an appearance. It might have been at a convention or something like that that was associated with it. And he was just in the back talking to the guys. And his, <laughs> his way of giving me that advice was like... Uh, you're gonna have a lot more of these, and it, like more like if you if you draw attention to it, then like the your bosses or the office whoever I'm working for, then they're gonna be alarmed by it because they probably didn't even see it. And right, they don't even care. Yeah. So I was like, you're right. You sit there kicking yourself, right? Yeah, I don't want them, I don't want to tell them how much of a mistake I made. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. TJ Perkins is the cruiserweight champion in the WWE. He's worked everywhere, including Mexico. Now, TJ, did you wear a mask when you were in Mexico? 
Uh, so I went down with a mask because I was I had a mask in New Japan. Still Ponoi Boy? Um, no, they had given me a character in New Japan called Puma. Mm. And it was like, uh, I was a big, I was influenced a lot by the first Tiger Mask. Oh, Sayama. nice. I remember that was one of the things that they kind of saw in the gym with me. Like when I first met the, the at the time, the director of New Japan was uh, Uai and Fujinami, I think, was president. And they came to visit L.A. And when they were kind of looking at us, like first look type of thing, they were like, he... He, he's a lot like Sayama was because I was always into technical wrestling mm-hmm. and and when we got when we were there we were doing all submission wrestling and and kickboxing we almost did no wrestling at that time which mm. was brutal you mean like hitting the ropes and body slams yeah I mean, we never yeah. took bumps or anything we were always like just I mean literally getting the crap <laughs> shoot fighting all, like all my, my cauliflower ears and stuff was literally from that time because <laughs> like Josh Barnett would have a fight team in there just killing us <laughs> but you know we learned a lot of stuff and a lot of that was like what I wanted to do like Sayama so they were like uh, they they would encourage me to do that sort of style and then after a few tours they're like okay we can I think it was after I did the Young Lions Cup like you grad when you're a, a, a young boy you graduate I don't know if they still do that anymore, but they used to have a tournament like this, like the Super Juniors, right? But it was for the young boys, and so you do that. Then afterwards, you're a young lion. You could start developing yourself. Because another way they would do is they would send you away for six months or so to another country. That's company. how I ended up in CMLL. Gotcha. So I did the Young Lions Cup, and then I did a couple tours, and they're like, "Okay, we'll send them on an excursion." And I, and they had given me this character Puma. And they're like, it, "It'll be like just treat it like American Tiger Mask. Just do your own thing." Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, but when I got to Mexico, the office, Paco and them were like, we've already received photos and pictures of you guys without masks, so you can't be in a mask. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm just myself then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you have any dangerous experiences in Mexico? Uh, not so much when we were there. I mean, there are some stuff. Uh, a lot of it was me being a little too ballsy like as a kid. Like After a while, I got too comfortable there. I'd walk around without like my IDs and stuff, and you get oh. stopped by cops, and I'm like, oh, man, I like – I just like went to Zona Rosa or something in the middle of the night, just yeah. coming back, and then you get stopped. I'm like, I don't have my passport, I don't have my ID, and they're stopping me. And like, you they know, this is bad. Whatever they want. Yeah, this could be a bad situation. Um, when I was younger, like when I was, I don't know, 14, 15 or something, I got robbed at gunpoint on coming back from Tijuana. Wow. I remember the van dropped a group of us off near the border check where we could walk back across to San Diego, get our car, and go home. And when we got dropped off, we didn't make it to the border check before bit being stopped. And they sat us on the curb and like it, for those who haven't been to Mexico, like it's intimidating because street cops have like machine guns sometimes. And it's like, it's, it's kind of scary. So they sat us down and like dumped our bags out and took what they wanted. I remember my buddy was real bummed out cause they took his hydroxy cut. <laughs> he was like, Oh, I need <laughs> of all the stuff to take. Yeah. So and, and and money if they found it I stuffed all my money in my shoe because I've always been paranoid about that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So um, that's like the worst thing. And that's happened. Mexico though. It's very it's very much a, a corrupt at times. It, it's in a time warp. I think mm-hmm. People, it, like that's probably the best way to put it. Because even the good things you feel very like I don't want to say nostalgic, but like it feels old world sort of. Mm-hmm. Like, even the good stuff. So. And the moment you cross the border too, you feel it. Like, like you know, like yeah. you could be literally standing on this side, and then you take one step over, and it's a totally different world Completely. You know? i wish people could see what you just did yeah, yeah. Hand. i did my hand over the microphone cord like here's the states and now you're in mexico and it's like going through like a, a, a another dimension you're like whoosh, 
where the hell am I? <laughs> oh, back to the States. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, as when we were living there, though, it was, I mean, just normal stuff. You get in the ring and uh, for a little bit, they didn't accept us as good guys because we're foreigners. So like we're bad guys and we're wrestling a lot of the popular guys at the time so you know you'd have cigarettes put out on you if you get too close to the, to wow. the people like on the way to the ring i got spit on a lot they threw beer bottle i remember uh bobby had a beer bottle shattered on his kick pad they threw it somebody oh. hurled it from like the third row or something and just shattered on him i got a, a cup of piss thrown at me once which i thought was nice yeah, and it was warm too like how much do you hate me you actually peed in the cup yeah that's while lot, you're watching the match a lot of effort <laughs> yeah it's right that's some real <laughs> hatred um so stuff like that which isn't i mean it's dangerous i guess but it's not i mean once again it's just part of the business over there it's the way it is it's it's just one of the things i i remember and this was actually in the states but it was like a border town in texas uh i had a match that didn't even take place because of that type of atmosphere i was uh tagging with ultimo dragon Mm -hmm. and we're wrestling uh carl anderson who's Mm. here now and uh joey ryan at the time we're doing very pro america gimmick but in a negative way and and ultimo dragon and i were representing lucha libre so by process of osmosis we were team mexico you know even though he's japanese and i'm (laughs) filipino and uh i remember that the crowd was it was like a bullfighting arena it was like i don't know two thousand three thousand seat arena and they were so worked up just for joey and carl's entrance that when we came to the ring the confrontation as we got closer the confrontation caused a riot so i remember before we could get to the ring dirt was being kicked up to the point where I couldn't see the ring, and they started throwing dirt rocks that they could find on the ground. And security escorted Joey and Carl back to the locker room, which was you could visibly see it from the ring up in the upper deck mm-hmm. of the building. And the director of the show at the time just came out and was like, well, he's like talking to the ring announcer and another director at ringside, like, what are we going to do? And they're like, well, the police won't let them the event continue. <laughs> So then they just, me and Ultimate Dragon signed autographs and took pictures <laughs> for the duration of what our match would have been. There you go, 20 minutes or whatever, yeah. yeah. They're, they're afraid that we would, somebody would die if they let the other <laughs> dudes back in out. the locker room. So. Well, lots of international experience. Let's talk about some of your stuff that you've done in the States, you know, including being here as the, as the Cruiserweight Champion. But I know you worked Ring of Honor, you mentioned that. You spent a long time in TNA as well. Yeah. And yeah. that's a lot, of, a lot of time in the States, once again. Yeah, I, I would, those two places that kind of came in and out. As I don't know, you know, as the years go by, both of them I kind of came in like when they were first starting Ring of Honor. There's about a year old when I first went there. Mm-hmm. I was just coming back from Mexico. I think that's kind of like how I got in. Like, was because your name is getting around at this point. They were yeah. kind of trying to take guys that were doing certain things. So at the time, they're like, "Oh, this guy's been in Japan and Mexico." I hadn't. I, I kind of bypassed the indies. Like, what are the trendy indies? I guess you could say because indies weren't popular in mm-hmm. like '98. Then I got went to Japan to Mexico and then when I came back all of a sudden the indies were a thing so then they were like okay well these guys have been in Japan and Mexico so so I got into Ring of Honor that way and I would kind of go in and out TNA was the same way I went in like 2004 was my first time there which is really cool like being able to do like pay-per-view and, and TV like as like a 19 20 year old yeah. that's really awesome experience for me um, see but once again t- to make that journey and go through all those companies that's you know to end up here that's it didn't used to be the way, like things before. If you went to TNA or, or you went to where all these places, you might not get into WWE. It's, there was a little bit of a prejudice against that. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I think too. Like at certain times, I felt it because I mean, there was opportunities where I'd come here to do dark matches and things like that, and like it did not feel the same as me being here now. Like mm-hmm. totally not the same at all. Um, 
I think that the, that the experience provides a good ed- education, but you definitely at certain times it felt like there were lines drawn, like in terms of people's upbringing and things like sure, that. Sure, yeah, the TNA guy, you know, the Scarlet Letter, <laughs> and you know, and it, it is you know right now, especially with TNA being in such a, a state of unrest, it kind of sucks because it, you know that company had some real steam, at, especially when you were there. It seems like a, they were doing not too bad. Yeah, I always thought that they had a, a really good eye for. For like their roster, I always mm. thought they had really talented guys, and I think that's evident now. Like with um, like what they've gone on to do, you know, on their own. Like yeah, guys came in from from having successful careers, and you know they did well there. And then some guys after they moved on from there, they did amazing. I mean, we're talking about like AJ Styles, for mm-hmm. example. You know, that I mean, that's just that alone kind of. That's like a microcosm, I think, for it because it's like you know they they had a lot of great opportunities with guys that were part of the infrastructure. Yeah. There, so. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So how did you how, how did the road end up getting you here in WWE? So I, <laughs> after I spent some time bouncing around Mexico and Japan, Ring of Honor and TNA, and I'd done a a, a like. A pilot for an MTV Lucha show, Wrestling Society X. If anyone, oh yeah, that it was thing. Teddy Hart was there? Yeah, yeah. Teddy Hart. Teddy Hart was there. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and uh, the opportunity to to come in and do some tryouts and stuff here came up. And I remember having a, it was like we had like two loops or something on the West Coast really close together. So I ended up doing like I don't know six shows for WWE in a really short span. Um, to the point where people thought I worked here. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I kind of snuck in in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember uh, Shawn Michaels came to Jesse's school as a guest and was, like, addressing, like, people because there was, like, a pay-per-view in Vegas or something at the time. And he saw me in the back of the room because I was just there for practice. And he was, he was like, weren't you at TV this week? <laughs> so I, I, felt, I was, like, like <laughs> felt weird actually kind of being around, loafing around here. And... Uh, uh, I was given advice to, um, like, you know, you kind of tread water. You come and, you know, this is, like, you could, you could kind of hit a brick wall being here and doing this sort of thing, so. Yeah, you're talking about, like, doing dark matches and yeah, stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, so, that, like, it was suggested maybe you should go down to Florida and um, and uh, try a different way to. Uh, like, to, just show up yeah, there or try, something? Yeah. yeah, try a different door. And, and that's just the way I've always approached my career. Like, if, if somebody told me that, like, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Pack up the car, leave. Mm-hmm. Do it 100%, because I, I don't. I don't believe in being a guy that sit, you sit in your own backyard and expect your opportunities to fall into your backyard. They're not going to pull up in your driveway. Yeah. yeah. So everywhere I've been, that's the way it was. I'm, I moved to Canada for a few, for like a, a winter one time just to be in a new place. I lived in these guys' basement in Toronto, these two <laughs> brothers. They, they would put on local shows and I was able to do other shows around there at the time. Um, so you just like going for the experiences. Yeah, I'll go anywhere. Just mm-hmm. if, if it means getting a, a chance to work in a new place, sometimes like I can get a job out of it, you know, mm-hmm. or if it's just simply to be in a new place, you just can't stay in the right. same spot right, for, right, yeah. for too long. So, so I went down there and, uh, kind of walked on at FCW. I spent like a night camp there for like people that were like, not like in the company. And, uh, there just, you know, there was an opportunity at the time for a guy like me. So then, hmm. uh, and I, I bet the farm on it. So like all, every spot I had, like new Japan, they filled right up ring of honor, TNA, like every spot I left on the table, somebody snatched Done. it up, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. is the way it works. Right. So I had nowhere to go. I started all over. So I, I remember <laughs> we, I got evicted from my place cause like, like, you know, we couldn't 
we couldn't <laughs> couldn't afford it at the time. It was the middle of the recession. It was like two thousand eight, nine, ten like uh-huh. at that time. So it was like, and I have no job experience or, or education. Right. I bet the farm on wrestling. So, like, you know, I was trying to get a job as like high school janitor, and they wouldn't. They're like, no, you don't. Not we, even qualified. Yeah, for you that. can't. You're not qualified to be a janitor. Yeah, I couldn't pump gas like at a wow. gas station. Nothing. Nobody would take me for anything. So, so you've never had a job. Never. Other than wrestling. And I desperately tried so hard at that time. Like I like I used to pray to God every night, like don't I don't want to want wrestling anymore. Like yeah, just yeah. let me please and it, I could and the it was a weird thing because it was I remember be, like hating everything because it was like the only thing I could do is these really awful like bar shows in Florida, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights in front of like 10 people with their backs turned to the ring because they're watching sports and getting drunk for like 15 bucks. But then I could eat at least. So I'd be sleeping in my car at the laundromat or like getting a room for rent, knowing I couldn't pay for it, skipping out the next day just because there was no way to sleep. And like, I was like, okay, between collecting coins in the middle of the night at like target parking lot and like working these bar shows, I could at least eat. You know, and so then, um, little by little, you know, you, I start working in better pl- like it, I mean, literally, it's just like I started my career all over at 20, you, 23. Like, you I just completely moved to Florida. Yeah. yeah 30, is, is there something to do with the key as well? Do you have the key from your? Victim? I used to have it. I, 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 what was the, what was the story with that? So, um, I told the story in the Cruiserweight final when they asked me about it. It wasn't really something I intended to say. Like, mm. it's not. I, I never really tell people. It's just something that came to mind because they were like, what are you thinking about? It's interesting, though. Yeah. It's an interesting story. Well, I don't know. So this has happened to me twice. I remember when I, I in TNA, I won the X Division title, and they, they asked me to talk right after they would hit you with these like reality-style promos afterward, like like reality TV. Yeah, and yeah. I was talking, and I'm like, this is terrible. And then they were like, no, just – they're like, we'll, we'll – let's – let's listen to you again, but just, just tell us exactly what you were thinking out there. So I was like, all right, I'll tell you exactly what I was thinking. I remember when I was homeless and you guys didn't want to give me a job and I, I, and I was starving. So I told him that and I, I like, uh, I, I remember some of the office members were there. They started crying a little bit. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dixie cried and stuff uh-huh. like that. This is like, this is like a real moment, I guess. Sure. So then in the cruiserweight finals, this almost the exact same thing happened. They, they're like, they'll, they'll ask you a few questions in the ring and then, after the match and I didn't know what they're going to ask. Mm-hmm. And they asked, well, what were you thinking? And I'm like, well, so I was thinking about this key. I, I had, I don't know, a box of old stuff from Florida at the time. And, uh, one of them was just a key from the first place I got evicted from. And I'm not like a sentiment. I didn't keep it like, like I would stare at it every day. Like, <laughs> yeah. like Rocky Balboa, like it's my motivation <laughs> right. to make it. Right. It's just something I had and I remembered it. And so it was just, you know, for so many years, it reminded me of like a place I couldn't go back to, you know, you go back and there's a steel boot on the door and like, mm. it's so cold, such a cold feeling when you get evicted from a place. Mm-hmm. And my parents were going bankrupt at home and going through a really awful like divorce and stuff. So they actually needed my help because they were about to be homeless too. So I had nowhere to go. Like wow. literally, I, it wasn't like I was stubborn and I was like, I have to stay out right. and make my dream work. It was like, I, where, where am I going to go? I, I don't have a home to drive back to. So, so your um, home is your, is your car literally. Yeah. Cause and that my, my parents' home or their car too, mm. 3000 miles away. So like I, I, so I used that key would remind me of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just like, now it's like, I don't No, But still, I mean, it's, it's something that it's a symbol of, I'm never going to, deal with this again yeah so it, i mean it, i it, can't go back to this it was a nightmare for a while to have it and mm-hmm. then now it's kind of like a band-aid that i can just throw away like i don't need it mm-hmm. the wound is gone right so, right yeah so you live in your car working at these bar shows collecting coins 
when do you finally get your 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 contract? I guess when uh, do you finally start making some money? So, so I started <laughs> doing some better shows, and for a while, like like I would get on these trendy indies and stuff like that. Evolve, which is a place yeah. that, that like I kind of, which is funny because Evolve is sort of how I ended up here. They were just starting at the time, and I would ride in the equipment truck from like Florida all the way to Chicago, New Jersey. It was a thirty-hour trip, sitting on a pile of turnbuckles, basically. And we would, the, whoever was in there, we would go up, we would do the show, we'd be hurt or banged up, and we'd get right back in, unshowered, no hotel room, and drive 30 hours right back to Florida. So it was the most miserable, like, 48 hours of my life every time we would have to do those shows. Right. But it was better stuff, and more people were getting to watch me. And, and again, you're start, I was starting all over. 13 mm-hmm. to 23, all this amazing stuff happened, but I was a kid, and I was immature, and I didn't understand it, and I didn't appreciate a career It happened too quickly, yeah. Yeah, and so now I'm like, okay, now I need to put, like, bread and milk on the table, so mm-hmm. now I understand understand what this means so then you know little by little i went back to japan uh you know for mr Inoki, and then i got to do the super juniors uh i went over to germany and did some stuff in europe and just got all like started getting stuff back that i used to have went to mexico and then uh these guys were gonna start a project called lucha libre usa on mtv and they're like we have multiple seasons we'd like you to come in they first hired me just to be an agent they're like we think you have a lot of knowledge for this you'd be a good guy to talk with like the mexican talent and the american talent and then it was like like leading up to it they're, they're like we have a character that we don't have anybody to play so can you do it so i wrestled for them and then after a couple seasons uh i got an opportunity to go to ring of honor again and then they made me an offer to, to stick around there and then i was there for a couple years so now you're back on your feet. and now i'm back like doing the old stuff again and then uh when i was there tna was like hey we have an opportunity and ring of honor like they were real gracious about allowing me to to kind of break out and and switch up again and you know i was afraid because i bet the farm and that's how i ended up homeless so now i'm like i'm betting on myself again by leaving these places <laughs> yeah, that's like, right you do the same thing like so i think it's funny because people like would tell me like what you went through was was like inspiring or courageous but i think when things got good again that was probably the more the bigger lesson because like when you get that stuff back like are you going to be brave enough to bet on yourself again again yeah so that was what was terrifying for me but i mean it worked out okay and then i spent you know last four years at tna and then the opportunity to become a free agent came up and i had opportunities to go other places and, and then again it was like the cruiser eight classic came up and they're like this is just we don't know how this is going to go this is opportunity it's just just a little thing and so who called you for that uh, it was actually uh, Mr. Regal mm-hmm. called me, and uh, he had he had approached me at an Evolve show. I, I kind of went back and started doing some shows with Evolve again after like being free from having to do any contractual stuff for the last I don't know six years or so, and and it, it's weird like that's how I got back on my feet, and that ended up kind of ushering me right. back here. So when you got into the Cruiserweight Classic, there's no signing you, or you just signed for this tournament. Basically, yeah, literally. Start. Yeah, and right. I, I, it was and it was scary because like I had offers to do other stuff more long term, and I kind of put them all on hold because mm-hmm. I was like, I don't mm-hmm. know, you know. Once again, you're betting on yourself. Yeah, I mean, no. but and I, I just it's I that's why like I always I have so much respect for people that are willing to do that. When I see other people do that, or like um, sometimes guys will get like a bad narrative, like oh they, they're full of themselves or they think they're you know selfish or whatever. But I like. Sometimes I could see past that a little bit, and like I think that they're just they're willing to do 
they're willing to let it all go and, and they're willing to crash and burn. This yeah. is the best is the best way to put it. Yeah, know? that's right. And, and I have a lot of respect for people that are willing to do you that. Have, you have to swing the bat before you hit the ball. It, yeah, because it's know? terrifying. It's, yeah. it, like a lot of people, are, they don't want to even... They don't even want to yeah. go to bat yeah, at all yeah, yeah, yeah. because they're afraid of how to deal with if they fail. So, Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com. T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N dot com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. This, this is Talk is Jericho. So when you got to the Cruiserweight Classic and was there 32 guys in the tournament? Yeah, 32. Um, basically no audition. They're just seeing you in different places and you're getting you're, you're, you're having matches. Yeah, right. Totally. Yeah. So how was the uh, how was that whole experience? It's funny because you know, like everybody wants to play for the best team in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, and if you're if you're in the NBA, like you probably grew up wanting to play for the Bulls or the Lakers, you know. If you're if you're in the NFL, a football player wants to play for the Cowboys, yeah, that sure. sort of thing, you know. So you you don't know what to think of like narratives you hear, and you're intimidated by the experience, that sort of thing. But um, but everything was really cool. I mean, they gave us literally a, a blank palette and just an empty table and they said set it however you want hmm. do do what you want there was no rules put on yeah you. it was amazing like guys guys were really given a lot of freedom to you know create what they wanted and, and uh they got to be themselves mm-hmm. i think that was really beneficial to me because i'm used to being like relegated to certain roles and i take pride in being like a utility guy mm-hmm. you know so people, like play this i've had like 12 maybe 10 different mask characters all <laughs> different from each other yeah um, but I like that. I've never been big on like legacy. Like I never thought at the end of the, I want to retire someday and people know who TJ, like, I don't care. It's about your that. body of work. Yeah. I just yeah. like doing stuff, you know, right. Johnny Depp loves yeah. the Mad Hatter as much as he loves, you know, public enemy. Gilbert like, great. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's all the same to him. I, I, I like that as an artist. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up, I was Charlie Chaplin's big hero of mine, hmm. you know, why Every, is that? Because everything he did was different. He did, it looked like he just loved what he did. Hmm. He didn't care. If, it didn't seem like he cared that people, like, he didn't care leaving Charlie Chaplin as a thing for people. Mm-hmm. He, he just looked at it like, On, tonight I'm a plumber. Hmm. Charlie Chaplin the plumber. And that's what I'm going to give him. And, and, and he'd be great at that. He was mm-hmm. just such an incredible artist and so versatile. At a time when his tools were so limited compared to what we did. Sure, the way today. it's filmed. And everything. It's interesting you said it twice, an artist, uh, because I believe, I say it all the time, wrestling is art. You're, every yeah. time you create something out of nothing, it's art. And I think a lot of people don't understand the art form of what wrestling is, even people in the business sometimes. Yeah, totally. I, I feel the same way. Um, so for the first time, I, I was uh, given freedom to do whatever, and, and I was... Kind of for the first time, really just being myself. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, who it was, did you work with in the first match? Was it four matches through the tournament? Let's see. I had uh, first round was Demac from Germany, mm-hmm. uh, who's wonderful. I, I thought he was a really, really great dude, and very talented too. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, we had uh, first round was Mac. Uh, Johnny Gargano was mm-hmm. second round. Uh, Rich Swan was the third round, and then the semifinal and final was uh, Kota Ibushi and Grand Metallic. 
Wow, so that's a good group of guys to be working with. An amazing group. So when did you find out that you were going to be going over in the tournament? The day of. (laughs) So you would find out match per match what's going on. Like, I don't know. Uh, One of the other guys who's a buddy of mine, who's who's a member of the Cruiserweight group, he was like, how do you, like... I always have to ask questions. I got, I got to know like, like the type of things I'm doing. And I've never been that way. I never asked. I remember like guys were telling me or like people were kind of telling me like what's going on or the matches I was scheduled for. Like, and I hadn't asked and they're like, you really don't know what you're doing. I'm like, no, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, you just find out. Just tell me what you want. Sometimes it might be better. That, Cause I'm, I'm like your friend. I like to know everything, but sometimes it's better to not worry about it and just go day by day. <laughs> I think it's a lot less stressful uh, and a lot smarter to do it that way sometimes. Well, I, I approach matches that way too. I don't like going in, you know, thinking too much about what mm. like it's funny because the way i move i think people think like like this guy looks like he choreographs an hour of stuff oh, yeah. but I, that's just that's a product of just repetition mm. I, i've just been in the gym so much and training that things come off looking that way i think that's kind of how the human video game character sort of came up for me because it's like i look like i maybe like i look like i do things too perfectly or too easy right you know and i i got sick of people telling me it looks too easy for me so okay then it is easy for me what do you want yeah, me to say yeah like, make yeah but i don't like mentally i don't like going it because you don't know you could go in there with star wars and the audience expects hamlet hmm. you have to be able to adapt and mm-hmm. give them that, you know or at least communicate to them on a physical or like artistic See, level. You, you talk and it's no surprise you've been doing this for 18 years. You're very smart when it comes to how the business works, even at 32 years old, because you've been doing it for so long. Cause that's another very, very smart thing. Like, they, they, they could want Star Wars. They're watching Star Wars, but they want Hamlet, and you have to suddenly to be or not to be, or you lose the crowd and you have a shitty match. Yeah, so you know? I, I don't know. And you actually, you'd be able to tell me because you, you know, he's one of your best friends, but like the only member of the Guerrero family that I never met was Eddie. Mm-hmm. And I always looked up to him, and I would... I mean, and like I, I don't know, another thing you relate to, I never had any mentors. Mm. I never had friends that looked out for me or like teachers that were like, do this, do that, do this. I, I had to beg everybody for advice mm-hmm. and for leader, you know, whatever I, I needed to have. And I always used to ask, like, how did he approach wrestling? I would ask everybody. I asked his brothers mm-hmm. and everybody. Like, and they would, all the lessons they would tell me, like the way that he would approach things is he wouldn't have a plan. Like he mm-hmm. would be able to adapt. He was so good at that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I've always you know approached chris was like the two both of them would not i mean they'd call a finish if it was warranted but they would a lot of it just go in there and just work and just feel and just go and it was you know especially when i was in my younger years in japan it was a little bit scary what are we going to do well don't worry we'll figure it out out there really (laughs) okay i I remember that vividly just being kind of like freaked out like you don't want to talk about any of this Aren't we supposed to talk about it? It's like nope. It really it it wigs out a lot of my peers because they like they'll they'll come to talk to me and I I'll, I'll talk about whatever they want to talk about but then I I don't Not really if there. if they don't say anything <laughs> then I won't say anything either yeah and but because I I kind of know how I'm gonna approach it when I get in there you never know mm-hmm. you know so you don't know what the crowd is gonna react to yeah and you, that goes back to Negro Cassis if the crowd is wants A and you're giving them C you got to change it or else you, you you'll lose them I learned that from Negro as well it's kind of, so I mean it's 
it's like a pro, like a quarterback running the two minute offense. Mm-hmm. No timeouts. You, you're taking what the defense gives you. You're calling an audible. You get back to the line, and then you're you're just making a read yeah. and reacting. So you know you listen to them. They're giving you something. You react to that, and you you try to make it as best as possible. Right. Like holding water in your bare hands. You're not going to be able to hold water in your bare hands, but you try as best you can to keep it together. Hmm. So some <laughs> some things are going to get away. Your accuracy is not always going to be 100. percent Some nights will be amazing. Mm-hmm. Some nights it's going to be a disaster. But you have from an efficiency standpoint, I think you have your best chance at communicating right, to an audience. Right, right, that right, way. right. You mentioned uh, the human video game character as well. That's something I wanted to ask you about your entrance because it's kind of like a <laughs> Nintendo thing. It's got the 8-bit music playing. Yeah. That's because of your style? Yeah, I mean, it's just stuff I'm into for the most part. Artistically, it's just things I'm into. Mm-hmm. Um, I always wanted to be Scott Pilgrim, like actual Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> so, and uh, it's something that really hasn't been done a lot. Like a buddy of mine, uh, Kenny Omega in Japan, had had similar style and stuff to him. And I think that's indicative of this generation. So mm-hmm. I just felt like it was something that could be communicated, and it's part of what I like. But And stylistically, um, Cesaro jokes with me a lot because he gets a lot of the same – like. It, it, wrestling looks too easy to you but like i just got sick of hearing that i'm not i'm not a gritty guy like i don't i'm not a tough guy Mm -hmm. so it's like i i can dirty it up but like you know at a certain point i just am who i am so it's my best way of encap lance storm was like that too very smooth almost so almost it was always one of the knocks people say oh he's so smooth he's too smooth (laughs) how are you too smooth right yeah you know so i don't know it's just a way of like capturing what that is and and being able to provide it like in, as a form of entertainment as opposed to only getting it as criticism mm-hmm. like, you know so yeah. did you pitch that uh, entrance video and all that stuff when you got here or were you using that before no i, I hadn't used it before because there's just the you don't have the opportunity yeah, to do yeah, something yeah. so big you right. know like um finn like i'm sure he there's certain elements of being demon balor that he can't you know, until he gets to a position like this, you can't really. Sure. Yeah, with the big, big uh, pomposity of it. Yeah, you can't take advantage of it. So mm. it started with the music. They they asked what I was into, and the music guys are big gamers, so they're like, oh, "Man, this is exactly. <laughs> We've been waiting our whole lives to make this song." So they did, and then after that, I was like, um, "You know, this is this is the right type of atmosphere yeah. for this." So you know, just. You, I went to everybody, the lighting guys, the camera guys, the production guys, the video guys, everybody. I'm like, You're taking advantage of the tools the, that are available the to you The merchandise guys, yeah. Every single person. I'm like, I'm, you, I'm gonna, you guys are going to hate me because I'm <laughs> literally going to talk to you all the time about everything. But they're like, no. like They want the input. Yeah, the, yeah so... We just I just told them all the all the ways I think it would it'd be cool. Well, they, it's original. It stands out. Yeah, and they they they, they 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 hit the home run for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they pinch it for me. On that one, so. A couple last questions. You're an LA guy. We're here yeah. at the Staples Center. You mentioned it's the first time you've wrestled here uh, at the center. How do you feel? Oh man, it's amazing. I, we <laughs> that's why is uh, we're walking through the hallway and I'm taking all these selfies. You took a selfie in the Lakers dressing room. Yeah, yeah. the Sparks <laughs> dressing room. Every single one. Of yeah. Them. Uh, take a tiny one from the Clippers one. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. They're not really an L.A. team. Uh, no, it's amazing. I'm used to being out there and this mm-hmm. first time to walk through these hallways. You know, The house that Kobe and Shaq built is crazy. That's because you ever come to any matches here? Uh, yeah, I've been to a few events here, a lot of games and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, also, even at the, the, the Honda Center, the Pond. Sure, yeah. Man, so I, yeah. I, yeah, I went to WrestleMania 12. Okay. saw the Iron Man match there. You know. So, I'm, you know, all the... I'm a, I'm a Southern California boy. Yeah, yeah, it's a big night for you tonight. This is pretty surreal. Last question. Uh, what's your favorite match that you've ever had? If you had oh, to choose man. a couple of them. Pro- I, I had a... Uh, 
the 70th anniversary for CMLL. I think it was the 70th. Uh, we we had a, a big blow-off match. This is one of the featured matches at Arena Mexico. And Arena Mexico is for us, like for performers, that if if you're in, if you're like a a lifer in wrestling, that's that's a pretty big yeah, like it's a, it's a bucket list place. It's Madison Square Garden. It's amazing, you know. Yeah. yeah, and the atmosphere for that night and like the anniversary show was just unreal. Mm-hmm. And um, they fans threw money in the ring. Just just being part of something so big and and seeing that was was amazing. I love that in Mexico. If you have a good match, people throw money in the ring. It's cool because yeah. it's really rare for a, an American to get mm-hmm. that. You know, usually it's 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 uh, like local like home homegrown guys. Who did you work in that? Uh, so myself, uh, Rocky Romero, and Bobby Quantz, we wrestled uh, Virus, who used to be a mini, but it's a testament to how good he is. Wow. So now he's, he's just a normal dude. <laughs> now he's a major. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, Volador Jr. and Ricky Marvin. Okay. Yeah. We had had a series of matches throughout the summer, and that was, uh, that was our, our blow-off to that. That was, that was a pretty amazing experience. And, and the Cruiserweight Finals, the semifinals and the finals, it was – it was pretty big, like two guys from totally different backgrounds. Neither one of them speak English. Ibushi from yeah. Japan and the Metallic from Metallic yeah. Mexico. Neither one speak English. Neither one have been on live television in America. And and I, I had to wrestle both of them 10 minutes apart from each other. Oh, yeah? It was one after another? Yeah. So I, I, I don't think I've ever had an experience where I felt like a quarterback, like <laughs> like kind of against the end zone like right now you're that. really winging now it i'm like wow i, I really I, I have to really do my job really good <laughs> <laughs> and those guys are world-class students and it's really amazing to be in there with guys of that caliber mm-hmm. so. you guys will always have that connection too because quite a few of the guys got signed out of that and we see them here every week now yeah it's amazing i i i i was never really part of cliques or teams and and stuff like that coming up in wrestling i was always by myself mm-hmm um, so being part of something that a group of guys are sharing, like you kind of feel like, uh, stand by me, you know? Like yeah, yeah, thing, you know? yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, for sure. I don't know. The cruiser classic was like our dead guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was your body. <laughs> so yeah, we, you know, it's cool that, you know, we're kind of like cutting our teeth in the same situation all together. So, well, it's great to have you here, man. After uh, 18 years, you finally made it, you made it to the, made it to the big leagues, baby. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. The cruiserweight champ. Good to have you. Thank you. Thanks to the first and current Cruiserweight champion, TJ Perkins. And while I'm saying thank you, let me also say thank you to the OG sponsor of Talk is Jericho, Amazon. They've been here since the first episode. And thanks to you people for helping me out by doing all your online shopping. Using my Amazon links, you can find them at podcast1.com. Click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got Amazon links for the USA, UK, Canada A. Every time you use the Talk is Jericho Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage to the show to help us cover production costs. You can buy just about anything you can think of on Amazon, and using the Talk is Jericho Amazon links won't cost you anything extra. No hidden fees or extra charges. Just go to podcast1.com, click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. You can find all my great sponsors there as well. ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Get 15% off the DDP Yoga program plus three months. Full access to the DDP Yoga Now app. DraftKings, use my promo code Y2J to play for free with no deposit this weekend. Original Grain, go to originalgrain.com slash Jericho. You get 15% off your entire pouches. Simply Safe, go to simplysafe.com to get free shipping on your order and free keychain remote worth 25 bucks. Keep your home safe. All right. 
lots of great sponsors and lots of great shows on the Jericho Network. We're doing our best to keep you entertained. Keep it 100 with Conan and his cast of characters on Thursdays. Hilarious show. Huge hit. Then we got Team Tiger Awesome. Very, even more hilarious. Lots of great pop culture uh, discussions. And now on Tuesdays, the new edition, Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus. Has arrived. Episode two coming on Tuesday. Lance Storm and Don Callis, uh, very intelligent. There, it's like a master's class in in wrestling analysis, a PhD in wrestling psychology, and you also they've got so many great stories. And they talk about their ta- their respective tours of Lebanon. They talk about the Northern Hell tours, the, the literal meaning of what killing the town really is. They talk about Goldberg's return. They talk about uh, whether you need to be an athlete to be a booker in wrestling. They talk about the difference between good change and bad change in wrestling. Lance Storm and Don Callis are two of the smartest guys I know, and they're putting on a great podcast that just came out of the gate, and it came out running. Killing the Town. Subscribe on iTunes. Do that. Subscribe to all the shows on the Jericho Network. Let us entertain you, man. Leave them five stars, ratings, and reviews as well. Thank you so much for listening. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next. And coming up next Wednesday, it's a Halloween special. It's Ouija. The Origin of Evil, or Ouija, The Origin of Evil. we got Ouija board expert Robert Murch, who uh, is uh, a really, really knowledgeable guy on all the evils of the Ouija board. Uh, what's true, what's not true. He's a consultant on The Origin of Evil, the Ouija board movies, and he's got a lot of tales, uh, some scary, scary tales about Ouija boards, and also uh, the entire history of what they are and what they really do. Coming up, the Halloween special on Wednesday. Friday's guest is a huge, huge surprise. You're not going to believe it. Lots of big news coming up. So we'll see you guys on Wednesday for the Halloween special. Ouija, Origin of Evil. Look out, beware, watch out, and a big, yeah, boy. (laughs) You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Okay, keep your eyes closed. Okay. I want to show you my first ever painting. Mm, All right. Okay. Open your eyes. Oh, that's a lot of colors Mm -hmm. (laughs) and shades. So be honest. What do you think? Well, uh, I like how if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. Here, why don't I hold your paintbrush while you call them? Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. It's your last chance to get great holiday savings at Guitar Center. Like a Simmons SD550 electronic drum kit, just $3.99. Add your choice of AKG K52 headphones or a Shure SM48 mic, each just $39. Plus the newest and hottest guitars, drums, keys, and more. Exclusive gear you can't get anywhere else. Special financing, lessons for the beginner on your list, and gift cards. The perfect present for every musician. So hurry in and find your sound at Guitar Center. Trump's victory. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. It's always a lot of fun when you win. If you work hard and lose, that's not acceptable. At the White House, President Trump welcomed Republicans from the House and the Senate who passed a bill overhauling the tax code. The president says the middle class will be seeing the effects of this bill very soon. The typical family of four earning $75,000 will see an income tax cut of more than $2,000. They're going to have $2,000, and that's in my opinion, going to be less than the average. You're going to have a lot more than that. The tax overhaul bill also includes a corporate tax cut. We have companies pouring back into our country, and that means jobs, and it means really the formation of new, young, beautiful, strong companies. Democrats have criticized the tax package as a giveaway to corporations and the rich. 
The tax cuts for businesses are permanent under this tax bill, but reductions for individuals and families will expire after a decade. I'm Ed Donahue.